This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean, Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome into Celtics Late Night. My name is Ben Vallis. Thank you for joining us here on the first ever Celtics Late Night Show. Hope you're doing well despite that mega, mega disappointing but unsurprising game one loss alongside me here. Jake Eisenberg, hot take Jake. How you doing, sir? Welcome back. I'm doing okay, man. I hope everybody's got their their boomer rage yes. kind of out of the way uh, here. Exercise. We we let the we let the garden report kind of like they they went back to 2008. They were comparing this team and these guys don't have the dog. So I think we're gonna take a step back. We're gonna breathe. I feel okay. It's the best I feel after a loss, probably all playoffs so far. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you. I think I need your help a little bit, Jake, because I'm still... I can't, yeah, I know. You're not quite there, but you're a little bit a there. Loss, it kind of ruins my day. You know, Celtics late nights, I guess just a little bit about us. We are obviously based in Australia and uh, uniquely geographically positioned to bring you guys a late night show because it's, as you can see behind Jake there, it's, it's the middle of the freaking day here. So a little bit about us um, before we get into maybe curbing some of that garden report, a classic garden report negative. Um, those of you watching on the CLNS channels, uh, those of you who aren't familiar with us already, we're from the First of the Floor podcast and YouTube channel. We've been doing the pod for about five years now uh, and just joined CLNS uh, earlier this year. Uh, Jake, anything to add to that as far as like introducing us to those unfamiliar? Just a couple of boys from Australia that you know, ironically lived like 20 minutes away from each other, but yeah. met on Twitter. <laughs> And yeah. uh, we've been doing the pod now. I mean, you've been doing the pod for like five years and I joined a little under a year ago and we just love talking C's and we're trying to, we're trying to grow and talk to more people and, and breathe. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So let's, let's start there. Let's breathe. And obviously folks in the comments, we're, this is an inclusive program. We want to hear what you guys have to say as well. And we'll feature your comments throughout the show. Jake, you kind of hinted it already. Like where are you at psychologically after this loss? So you, you're probably not quite as, as doom and gloom as what we've heard from the, the Garden Report guys thus far. I was so positive they were going to lose today. I may have even <laughs> placed a wa- wager on FanDuel if I well, technically not allowed to place a wager on FanDuel on the Miami Heat to win today. This is, there goes my fiance. See you later. Um, sh- she's had enough of the Celtics, I think, today. That's, a, that's enough. She's <laughs> off to Miami. The, Exactly. Off to, my, off to Miami. The, uh, firstly, game one is the best game to win, to lose. It's the best game to lose. I promise you. Firstly, the only game, important game one that we've won in two playoff runs now was the Warriors series. And let's, how did that one go? Exactly. Not so good. This is the feel-out game. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Obviously, we lost game <laughs> one of the Sixers series. Um, it's, I guess I don't want to go as far as saying it's a LeBron-style feel-out game, mm. but all the post-game comments, all the post-game um, quotes from the players, they're all at least on the same page. as like, yep, just definitely didn't come out on the same page. We didn't come out with the right intensity. All the same things that we've always heard from this team forever. Um, and yet it was kind of clear they had a nice little run in the second quarter there where they sort of put it together for a little bit, particularly... Bam Adebayo goes to the bench. We get Cody Zeller and the disparity between the two defensively for the Heat is uh, glaring and Tatum was finally able to get downhill and, and get to the bucket. And we had ourselves a nice little quarter there and then cue the, what was it? A 46 point third quarter there, Jake. And yeah. we could just yeah. never, yeah. we could never get, I guess, um, back from that point. Um, 
my where I'm at psychologically though. Yeah, where are you at, man? I mean, it still sucks. Like losing a game oh. in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not gonna lie. I know we said we'd we'd bring the positivity, but um, we did. We did lose. It's it is a, is it okay to be upset? But I think to just understand how playoff series work and it it can be okay to not not have go full you know panic stations on on a game one loss. I do think that the Heat, you know, they're a team where you can't give them any rope because they will take the whole thing. Teams like the Sixers, yeah. the Hawks, um, historically dog shit franchises that we don't take seriously at all at, at any point across any fan base, you can give them a bit of rope and eventually pull it all back. But um, a team like the Heat, like you give them an inch and they'll take a mile. Uh, to use the empirical uh, system there to make that American family feel <laughs> well done. <laughs> we usually you. say take a kilometer. <laughs> we are professionals here. Uh, a quote from after the game from Joe Mazzola: We won three out of four quarters. We lost one quarter because we dropped that sense of urgency. Oh. I just think what you did in the past is good enough. Um, so I, I guess Jake, like, well, first of all, let's get your response to to that quote. I will say, Joe did not do himself any favors today. Mm-hmm. Like going back and forth with Gary Washburn about the letting go of the rope and saying we were prepared. It, it's just like semantics, you know. If someone tells you like you didn't do X amount of chores, you're like, well, but I did. But I did these jobs, but you didn't do the most important thing, which is win the game. So it's like going back and forth on the sh- semantics of were you prepared? Yeah, we were prepared, but. It, are you really prepared if you're not prepared for the Miami Heat to punch back in the third quarter, which was the most predictable thing. The Celtics, to their credit, hit the Miami Heat in the mouth in the first half. And the lead should have been a 20-point lead. I thought that the defense was pretty good in the first half, but the Heat were hitting some stuff, we'll call it. Uh, we're, we're still working out how um, what kind of words we can use here on, on the late night show. <laughs> we're here, we're here, Jake. But, yeah, yeah. The, uh, Lowry, Kyle Lowry in particular, right? Like he he hit like a. Sh- it wasn't even the three pointer. It was the he was facing like the Celtics bench and hit this like fading to the diagonal opposite direction deep two, and that's kind of what kept the kept the Heat in the game in the game just enough. So when they did punch the Celtics in the first half, it wasn't just that they, you know caught up they also took the lead like if you contrast this i think with the nuggets and the lakers game we can get into kind of the celtics woes on the home and road split stuff but the nuggets came out and punched the lakers in the face but the lakers weren't hitting everything so the the lead ballooned to like 20 plus Mm -hmm. but the heat stayed in the game because they were hitting everything they shot over 50 percent from three and like if they're going to shoot over 50 percent from three even if you play the worst defense an NBA team rarely shoots over 50% from three. Like, and it's not really an outlier with the Heat. Like, they do have the ability to do this, right? Like, a lot of Bucks fans were went down screaming into the wind that the Heat won't shoot like this again. The Heat won't shoot like this again. Exactly. That's, that's, like what, a, that's what worries yeah. me. Like, that's because that's what I want to say. That was like on the tip of my tongue. Like, the, the Heat won't shoot like this again. But um, every playoff game occurs within a vacuum. Right. And so it's not like we can look at this as, you know, a, a stretch of games like next game. They could show up and they, they could shoot that well again, because a team like that, an eight seed or whatever they finished, I think it was an eight seed to get this far in the postseason. Like they need to achieve a certain level of BS every game to get this far. And at least as far as the playoffs are concerned, like they have been consistent doing that. And so I don't know how much we can denote them showing up next game and shooting really well again. I will say that we gave some really easy looks to Bam Adebayo, like right under the hoop early in the game. There was a lot of Jalen Brown guarding Bam Adebayo. Do you think that that was by design from the Celtics or were the Heat just sort of cleverly getting Jalen switched onto Bam because they were getting so much out of that? And then if we were swarming Bam in the paint, the Heat were getting the ball to, to Jimmy. And I felt like we were too soft on him for the majority of the game and letting him get to his spots. And once we did kind of swarm on him as well, he was kicking out to three-point shooters and it opened them up to a, to a point where the, the Heat guards could hit their three. So yes, they were really, really hot from three, but I, I felt like we kind of led them to that point with our shoddy defense early on. What do you think about that? Oh yeah, there was... The defensive game plan was not super clear to me. Not super clear to me. They overhelped. There was a There was a... 
a PTSD moment where Marcus overhelped on Jimmy. Like Brogdon had had Jimmy locked up to the point where Jimmy had picked up his dribble baseline and Marcus comes flying in and Jimmy just kicks it simple pass to the corner and Caleb Martin knocks down a three. Like they were not disciplined enough. You have to be disciplined in John Zanis lurking in the chat. I would never. John <laughs> Zanis doesn't sleep. He's always lurking, constantly lurking. The the heat shooters, you you can't, there's no reason to help off Jimmy when there are certain guys guarding him because he's so good. He's like the opposite of Joel Embiid. You can sneak up on Joel Embiid. It's all, and, and I thought coming into this series, there was going to be a culture shock. Like the Heat are so much more disciplined. They don't beat themselves. They turn you over. The Sixers and the Hawks don't turn you over. It's like going to a, another country that you've just never been before. And speaking of foreign language, like the Heat play <laughs> a completely different brand of basketball than both the Hawks and the Sixers. Yeah. Like you would classify both the Hawks and the Sixers as soft. Very, very, very soft. Pillow soft. The, the Heat are maybe the toughest team in the mm-hmm. league. The fact that they're in the conference finals when maybe their third best player has missed the entire playoff run, their toughest player, second toughest player, PJ Tucker, left last year. The mm-hmm. fact that they're here, you have to respect your opponent. And I don't, I, I don't, I think it was a lack of respect. I thought it was a classic Celtics. They played well in the first half. They got to the rim. They felt like they were they were showing resistance at times. But then they 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 got a the Celtics with a nine or ten point lead may as well be like a 26 win team. Yeah. <laughs> the Celtics down like seven. I like the the 95 Bulls. They're gonna win 72 games. I don't know what it is mentally about this team where as soon as they get up a little bit, it just feels like they can take a breath and let go of the rope. And, and it's hard for this team to grab the rope again. And so it's like, it feels like one or two ways to win a game at the moment. It's like when they're playing at their best, you you have a, a game two situation in Philly where you blow them out or a game seven situation in Philly where you blow them out or you come from behind, kind of kind of similar to game six in that, it gets tight, but with enough time to go and you're able to come back. Like when they're up 10 to 12 and it feels like they're doing, like feels like they're uh, supposed to win, that's usually when they don't win. Like they were heavy, heavy favorites coming in today. Yeah. And like- I had money on them. There are certain people- Yeah. Yeah. There, you had money on the Celtics? Yeah. Which is like crazy, well, crazy drinks material. I know. I'll never do it again. Uh, but I, I no, was that confident going in, suffice to say. Wow. Wow, yeah. So I, I was very sure. Uh, yeah, I did another podcast last night, and then they asked me for a prediction. And I was like, "Would I would be actually stunned if they win tomorrow?" This is like all we've heard about the last couple of days is how much better the Celtics are, how much more talent we have. The ESPN model, which when we spoke about with Dan Greenberg, Greeny on the first of the floor feed a couple of days ago, he's convinced that's a Pat Riley mold, maybe a grandchild. Maybe a grandchild. Social who's media, savvy the social media account. <laughs> There's no way that the the model came out 97 percent in favor of the Celtics. It's just an absurd, absurd, absurd prediction. That's plastered everywhere. As soon as I saw all of that, we saw Al Horford having to stop practice. How how much all of that you know actually has an impact? I was pretty confident that, especially with Spolstra coming in, like he. You guys sound Australian, yeah. Well, we are we are Australian, hence the sunshine and not the the, the darkness above my head right now. But yeah, like I w- I was going to be surprised. And look, I understand people not wanting to hear that we let go of the rope. We didn't do the little things, like Marcus Smart saying. Sometimes we don't want to do the little things. That I can understand is fu- infuriating, and I also don't want to hear that. But like, you look at the Nuggets Lakers game yesterday. If you're a Lakers fan, you're like, we have to steal either games one or two in Denver because they're so good at home. We have to flip home court. Denver comes out and runs them off the court. Absolutely runs them off the court. And Lakers make a fake comeback, in my opinion. It got very close. Got close enough where maybe you don't call it a fake comeback. Mm -hmm. But LeBron in the post game, LeBron basically said they took it to us in the first half. We weren't ready for it. You can't, you're not always going to be the harder playing team. Like you can't just be the harder playing team and win every single game. Sure. Like this team, as much as I love them, 
is not is not a perfect team. And we were saying this before we came on, and like there are no perfect teams this year. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, so that was in response to, we were watching the Garden Report, getting ready to go live here, and, and Bobby Manning said that uh, the Celtics don't look like a championship team, which uh, is true, particularly uh, in very recent sample, sample size, the, the last game specifically, the one that was just on, but there are no championship-looking teams this year, and so it, that kind of negates the point, right? It's, it's kind of redundant, and that we're all in this like below championship tier. Someone's got to walk away with the Larry O'B. It may as well be us, but we've got to come to play. Um, should we talk about double big? Because we stuck with the double big lineup. It looked good, like initially early. Smart, who uh, was conducting the orchestra uh, as the maestro that he is, oh. and we'll get to Smart um, in greater detail in a little bit. Had some nice dump off passes to Rob, some nice lobs to Rob as well, uh, which is great to see the return of that. But you know, ultimately, it looked like Missoula went away from double big quite early in order to have an extra guard out there to chase the hot three-point shooting uh, Miami Heat guards off of screens and, and try and negate their, their hot three-point shooting. Didn't necessarily work. What did you think about rolling out double bigs to start with and then how it sort of ended up for the season, this one? I liked it. I think if you definitely found something in game six and game seven. Everybody on the team seems to love double bigs and love playing with Rob. And I thought Rob looked really good and that he was, he was finding cracks in the defense people were finding him on loves dump offs like he was six for six for the game in the end and or three for three in the first quarter and i felt like he didn't get back to that kind of for the for the rest of the game right so he was three for three in the first quarter and ends up six for six for the game like rob the the heat definitely found a way to to shut down some of those dump offs it felt like once the celtics found success doing that they started to force it, and I think that the Heat are just so disciplined and can adjust on the fly, and that's the magic of Spolstra, is that they can start to bait you into certain things. I felt like It felt like they started to bait the Celtics into the same kind of actions, and then the, the Heat were ready. They were getting hands in places where they weren't in the first half. Um, I wouldn't necessarily go away from it again. Like I know today, I know today the Double Bigs had a negative 15 net rating, which <laughs> if you're did. not familiar with advanced statistics, you want that to be positive, positive net rating. Negative 50 is a disaster. Um, but they only played nine minutes together today. So like it's a very, very, very small sample and the Heat are going to go small. And I do think there are like there are ways that that Double Big lineup can dominate. The Heat are going to go small. You have to bring the fight to the Heat. You have to dominate them on the boards. And early Rob was dominating them on the boards. Mm -hmm. And I think that whether you go double big or single big, and I've been someone that's been like so overly cautious with all of Rob's minutes. Anytime he played more than like 25 minutes in the regular season, I always thought it was a mistake because he was going to get injured. And we have him healthy. Whether or not that was the right or wrong thing, I thought that part of the reason he did the hamstring was because they loaded him up with too many minutes. I think against Bam Adebayo, who's only 6'9", I think Rob can have a lot of success on the offensive re- on with the offensive rebounds, yep. which he did early. Got him a lot of second possessions. Whether or not you stay double big or you just go single big with Rob, I would like to see Rob at least playing. How many minutes did he play today, right? 25. Al plays 31. I know Al's been the guy, but coming into today, he was shooting 30% from three for the playoffs. And today, again, he goes one for five. Mm-hmm. If Al Horford's not going to be one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, like that was the reason the Celtics were scolding, scorching, dominating the, the league at for moments throughout the season. Like The reason they had the second-best offense in the league was in part because Al Horford was shooting six attempts per game and 45% from three, one of the best shooters in the league, spreading that offense. If he's not hitting threes, give me the, give me the offensive rebounding, give me the lob threat, give me the dump-offs. Um, at least balance it out. 31 minutes to 25 for Rob. I think that's got to be closer. Yeah, and there's just there's not the personnel to roam off of for Miami. At least we didn't see it in this game. We talked about in our preview pod potential candidates, like maybe it could be Kevin Love, like uh, tempt him into those corner threes, and we didn't really see that in this game. But we saw, you know, we saw the Heat getting a lot of open looks from three. 
uh, which led to them hitting a lot of dot open looks from three. So it goes back to like, give them that rope early, you know, they'll, they'll take the whole thing. So um, I guess we'll get to adjustments in a little bit. There's still a, a fair bit more to get to from, from this game. Jimmy Butler. I mean, obviously we've got to talk about Jimmy six steals in this one. Some of them, like, let's be honest, the Celtics just threw the freaking ball directly to him. Like, it's not like, he was this amazing so predictor, uh, uh, defensive um, maestro. We just threw him the ball. I think we saw Jason Tatum like have a complete brain fart halfway up to, to jacking a three-point shot more times in this game than we've oh. seen in his career. And you do have to and credit- And then complained, and then, yeah, yeah, he, and then it was actually a travel. Yeah, and you do have to credit Jimmy Butler to some degree. Like He is a, a great disruptor <laughs> yeah. on both ends. Uh, he was pretty good in this game, but I thought that we gave him too much room too early. It felt like- we weren't smothering him defensively. Um, and then, like, just to, to punctuate that, Peyton Pritchard, multiple <laughs> defensive possessions on Jimmy Butler early. And then we saw a reinsertion of PP later in the game. Uh, Look, not to not to digress too much to, to, to Peyton Pritchard, but just talk to me about how you think we should be defending Butler better as the season or series rather goes on. I think inserting PP into the lineup when Jimmy Butler's out there was kind of a confounding choice, especially if you're planning on switching Pritchard onto him. Mm-hmm. I What I would do is put Jalen or Jason on Jimmy Butler, and they switched a lot today where it was Brogdon. It was, it was a lot of guys guarding Jimmy. I have a belief that Rob can do it, but early in the game, Rob felt like he had been drilled into him for the last 30, 72 hours. Don't bite on pump fakes. Don't bite on pump fakes. Don't bite on pump fakes to the point where he like didn't even have a hand up. You have seven foot six arms. You can <laughs> you can not bite on a pump fake and still stick your hand up. Like that's what makes you so incredible. Is that he can he can get like offensive rebounds and dunks without barely jumping despite being like six nine. And so I would I, I still don't hate switching Rob onto him, but I would like to see Jalen and specifically Tatum. I think Tatum's the best Jimmy defender in this. I think Tatum is arguably the best defender on the team when he's really, really locked yeah, in. Absolutely. And in this specific, yeah, and in this specific matchup, Tatum has the length, he has the strength, he has the size. I would like to see Tatum go over screen, over screens, and not switch out of the Jimmy Butler stuff. It's a lot to ask of Tatum because he's already doing so much offensively. No, well, if you, if you if you're gonna freeze him out in the second half, at least at least give him the. At least give him the Jimmy Butler defensive assignment, right? Five shot attempts for Tatum. I know we're kind of jumping all over the place and and John Zanis rightfully called us out that the positivity is waning. I guess we're just getting all the negative stuff (laughs) out of the way so that we can get to like the outlook, right? Which is still largely positive. Um, Before we get to the good, because I'm excited. I I need that like personally just for my own uh, psyche. Before we get to the good aspects and why this can be curbed into a successful Eastern Conference Finals for the Celtics, what are the other bad aspects of, of this game, at least worthwhile mentioning on this stream that you want to get onto, Jake? Free throws? <sighs> Free throws. Like at one point, Free throws. we were down six and had missed exactly six free throws and i'm not saying that have we had we made all of those we would have won the game but at least you're in a position to put the heat under more pressure to maybe force them into some mistakes and we just missed a s load again not sure how much we can swear on the stream of of free throws in this game <laughs> adding to the frustrations and i, I suppose we really are leaning back into the ne- negativity again here jake but um, free throws obviously a glaring issue for the celtics in this one uh what else it's just like, Marcus, if I had to draft players I feel most confident shooting clutch free throws, he's like pretty much tied with Tatum. And he missed three of them today. And I don't want to go too hard on Marcus because I thought he was so well, so good tonight. But Mr. Malcolm Brogdon, his whole, he's so famous for being Mr. 50-40-90. I feel like he's missed a lot of clutch free throws. And he missed two today. Obviously, they missed seven free throws. They lost by seven. You're not going to make every free throw. So, but you know, if they make four more or five more, they're right in the game. And this feels kind of different. It's just, and I think just like, you know, looking at this game, but more broadly, like if you want to feel good about this game, if you make your free throws, if the heat don't shoot like 56% from three, like this is the Celtics are up like four and they might still lose the game because Tatum might still have three turnovers down the stretch. Skip Bayless had a great tweet today where <laughs> um, he, 
he uh oh great great ish i guess my one this time of year people in the chat like i'm like most of my australian friends as go to nba person and they all know that i'm a a Celtics fan. And so I hear from a lot of people anytime the Celtics lose. So I got sent the tweet that was basically like um, Skip had a bet with Shannon that they would lose one of the two games. And he he called Jason Tatum, Jason Turnover. And like I got to got credit him. It's not it's not a terrible, not a terrible joke because um Tatum at times in the fourth quarter can get sloppy and this is always like it's been the Achilles heel of this team. Um it felt like it was too late to get him involved. Like they were calling for it on the broadcast to get him a touch. And it's not even that we want him to initiate. Like someone throw him the ball off an action and they just weren't giving it to him. But um, it felt like it was too late to get Tatum the ball. At this point, there's four minutes left and then they're like, oh, sorry, whatever we were doing before didn't work. Can you please save us? And he was out of rhythm at that point. He's a rhythm player. Not his fault. So- Never, never Jason's fault. We were within five with, yeah, of course, with four minutes 50 to go. <laughs> and then Jalen Brown missed three. That would have cut it to two. Then a Horford turnover, Tatum turnover, Brogdon misses one of two free throws, Tatum turnover, Tatum turnover, and a whole bunch of heat buckets within those times. Although like early in that sequence, we were getting stops, which is what made it so frustrating. Like we were finally getting stops. I, I can't recall prior to that point, like when we were getting consecutive stops in the second half, finally we start to to turn them over and get stops. We get these wide open looks before that Brown mystery that I mentioned. I think right before that, there was a, a Hawford wide open three as well. Like we had the opportunities, not that we should have let ourselves get into that position, right? But, you know, despite all of that, despite the 46 point third quarter from the Heat, we found ourselves in a position to take the game back and we just missed open shots and then we had those brutal Tatum turnovers and that was it. Can we switch to the good stuff now, Jake? There was some good stuff. I think that (laughs) um, Missoula brought in Peyton Pritchard for pace because the Heat will, as a disciplined team, a very, very disciplined team, slow things down, get you into half-court offense, essentially drag you down to their level and then beat you with experience. I I guess I liked like the concept, the idea of inserting PP for his pace. Um, and yes, we will keep using that phrase. Um, but really, the, the pace master general in this game, uh, Marcus Smart, who had 10 assists and one turnover in the in the first half there, really conducting the orchestra. I think I've got a, an actual... This is from Getty Images, like directly from the game earlier. There we go. There's Marcus Smart conducting the orchestra, um, doing everything he could to deliver a win uh, for the Celtics. Unfortunately, in the we don't have any photos from the second half, but they don't look uh, anything like this. Smart was incredible. I thought it was going to be another Marcus Smart game. It was looking that way. I don't necessarily believe that it was Smart's fault that things went south in the second half. If you, if you look at his second half stats, they're not great. Um, but a lot of that just comes down to the Heat's <laughs> hot shooting in the third quarter. Is Smart, I guess, the most positive individual takeaway from this game, Jake? Oh, man. I'm so sad. This is this is why I'm the most sad about losing this game is just because we miss out on the Marcus Smart victory victory lap. Another another game. You know, game six against the Sixers for all Smart fans out there was a great, great time. Versus today was about to be. Like, he was playing exactly the way that everybody, um, you know, all those people that are saying we need a true point guard, Marcus Smart was out there dropping dimes. And then it felt like the Heat adjusted a little bit to the point where they were playing Marcus for the pass. And that's why he was 0 for 1 in the first half. And what was he, 2 for 6 in the second half? 2 for 4 from 3. Like Marcus is going to have to take shots. You know, once the defense shifts, and they're not letting him be the maestro. They have to let. Yeah, he's gonna have to be the guy that gets you know gets downhill, bully ball. Which is why I like pairing Marcus and Rob. Like Marcus can get downhill on a few of these guys out there. Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, Kevin Love. There are a bunch of guys out here that Marcus can get downhill on um, and still get pretty good clean looks at the rim. And then you have you know Rob out there to to clean some of that stuff up if if he does miss. I thought it was a I thought it was a great Marcus smart game. He threw a. Beautiful pass to Jalen Brown. There was a comment here earlier, and Jalen just dropped the ball. Yeah, it was a wide open like wing three, um, and that literally led to a seven zero heat run. 
It's just these little moments, you have to clean them up. And, you know, you're not going to get away with it in, in against the heat at times. You got to play, you got to play as clean as possible. And then the turnovers, right? That was in the first half, five turnovers. That's the, that's, that's the series. And it felt like Jalen was being really cautious in the first half. It felt like he wasn't forcing drives into the middle. Um, he was like, I'm watching out for Gabe Vincent hands. I'm watching out for Jimmy Butler hands. And he, he ended up with six turnovers, um, which hurts. But, you know, he's, he still goes, you know, five for 10 in that first half, mm-hmm. I think 10 for 21 overall. And this is, it's going to be ugly against the Heat. It's going to be ugly against the Heat. That's how they win these games. Um, it's just, can you minimize some of these mistakes a little bit? But Marcus Smart. Because there's pretty much no blame, I felt like, in this game. I fully agree. Yeah. I fully agree. Um, yeah, Jalen Brown, though, six turnovers. He had a post-game quote. Quote, we came out too cool. It was almost like we were playing a regular season game. It's the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, come on. We've got to play with more intensity than we did today, which is great. I feel like he's, like, explicitly calling out himself in that game in, the in like, the third person because I thought he was kind of... Um, whatever the opposite of having your foot on the gas was, was kind of Jalen. He obviously had moments. He had a late and one after seemingly getting injured or injuring his hand or wrist there, which looked like maybe it was going to turn things in favor of the Celtics. He had moments, but I thought like throughout the game, he wasn't as aggressive as we need him to be. Uh, you know, he's the second best player on the team. Some nights he can be the best player on the team. And, you know, we, we talk about not getting Jason Tate in the ball. And yes, for the most part, that's the fault of the Celtics. The Heat do a pretty good job of denying him and, and stopping us from getting the ball to him. That's Jalen Brown's time to shine. And I just don't think that he asserted himself enough in this game. Um, but all these post-game quotes, all of these things that we're saying, like I think we're probably saying them after game one of the last series against the, the Sixers. We're definitely saying them after game one of the conference finals last year against the Heat. So it's nothing new. And what else isn't new is that we know the Celtics can respond. So this is where, Jake, we really start to turn it around and really Mate. start to get the positivity going. Mate, like there's no, there's no must win. The best thing about winning game seven was that there's no must win games until game three. Technically game four, but yes. <laughs> I, I will... <laughs> well, I know, and, and I know, and I've been trying to get you on board this mantra of the of the must win games because you've been every game is a must win game. But you cannot tell me, everybody in the chat, you can't tell me, Ben, that coming into today, you do not have the same level of nerves and anxiety that you did coming into Game Six against the Sixers and coming into Game Seven. Like, can I, Aussie Phil? You're a legend. Can I tell you how that works for me psychologically? People in the chat, like, yeah, we want to know how you feel about this kind of thing as well. So I felt initially very cool, very calm and collected coming to this game. And then this is where my fandom gets the best of me. I'm thinking, okay, if I feel this way, <laughs> then the guys, the Celts, they must feel this way as well, which worries me because while I feel confident, I need them, them to feel locked in and focused and desperate. Um, and that made me stressed. And so it took my comfort and confidence going into this game and made me wary and uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, and that's essentially my approach going into every single game. It will be my approach going into game two. And uh, I'm too old for you to convince me otherwise. Well, this is the thing. So the worse you feel, the more confident you should actually be. Mm. Whereas the better you feel, the, le- the less confident you should feel, which is why I knew they were going to lose today because I felt calm. I felt at ease. Yep. The, you know, the ocean was flat. You can see it back there. Flat, not a ripple. That's a worry. We need thunder, lightning, chaos. We need people threatening to break up the Jays. We need Coach Missoula <laughs> being fired for for like Brad Stevens. Can he come down and, and coach Game Six? That's for whatever reason. Look, at some point, as a fan, you just have to accept who these people are, what this team is. It's like a family member. They're not perfect, you know. I'm not perfect. My parents still accept me. I do all kinds of things, um, which we won't get into on this first episode. <laughs> I don't want to detract any, detract anyone too quickly. Amazing. But, but yeah. So like you know, how many people in your lives have you forgiven? And they they make the same mistakes over and over again. But you you remain their their family member, their friend. And this is what the Celtics are. I'm never gonna like just 
stop loving the Celtics, I don't think. You just have to accept that this, this is a character flaw that they have. Um, and also, they're not going to win every game. They're just not going to win every game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, that's just the reality of but it. But also, hopefully, they will win the next four games, Jake. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, they win eight more games. That's all I need to do is go eight and five. Eight and five. Title, baby. So, adjustments before we before we really branch out and really get into like the the core Celtics late night material, which is like hugely zooming out and looking at the league and looking at historic Celtics and things like that. As Jake cracks a beer, uh, trying to do it quietly. Uh, what adjustments do you think will be made, if any? It, it sounds like you know, obviously they they don't disclose everything in the in the post game comments there, but it sounds like just a, an elevation of intensity. Uh, which we have seen as a legit adjustment in prior series um, in the playoffs this year. Beyond that, what other adjustments? Like, do you think they'll stay double big, for example, or what else do you think will change? So, I do think they'll stay double big, but I do think that they will be quick to hook it. Um, and to Douglas in the chat, am I in Hobart in Sydney? I'm in Hobart. Recently, a recent move down from the mainland to the second closest point to Antarctica. But I expect them to stick with double bigs. I think the adjustment is Hauser or Grant, or you go back to your seven-man rotation. Yeah, classic Manila style in the class. Oh, Manila, great place. Assuming that's what your your handle is. Um, that's what I would be doing. The Pritchard thing, I get it from a pace perspective. Like if Joe has thought to himself, this team is at its best when it plays fast and. Pritchard always plays fast. So, like, I get that. My Pritchard theory has been if the Celtics go up 20, then put Pritchard in. Yeah. Because that's when they go into, like, slow, slow it down mode. Prevent it. And, he, and who's better? Who's better than, you know, the, than, than Peyton Pritchard up 20 points? Like, when the Poston P party comes in, like, he he's unstoppable once they're up 20. So, that's my, that's my PP rule. Um, I would be going to Hauser. Or Grant, I've been like pretty not a Grant guy, but he's so switchable though. Maybe I know, but Hauser, I feel like can kind of hold up, and I want I want the ability to tear the the, the nets off. And but that being said, game what was a game three of the Hawks series? Grant came in and went four for four from three, yeah. and he's done that a couple of times. He's felt he's looked pretty comfortable, like without playing for the you know past few games, so. You can't go seven deep. Um, so the adjustment would either be going to one of Grant or Hauser, but I think if the double bigs doesn't look like it's working, Derek White, low key, good tonight. Say more, because what's the opposite of low there key? Were high key? High key, he was not great high tonight. Key. Although he did have some good late buckets, like he had a, a clutch late what's, three. What's interesting about Derek is that he's been pretty clearly shook, like very shook. Deer at headlights, all of the scared analogies you can think of. He seems to, but he's still shooting well from three. Like he see, he's taking the, the threes really quickly. And that's the biggest difference between Derek White last season in the playoffs where he lost his confidence and this season. He still has a quick trigger and he's still knocking them down at a pretty good clip. And he had a floater today. He had a floater today. The mistress, my guy, four for six. He had a block. Or was it a steal? I've counted it as a steal. I thought it was a block. It was a block. Um, yeah. And so if Double Bigs isn't working, I think you you have to try and re- rediscover the magic of Derek White. You have to try and just and – there's, and then there's some stats that, you know, like if Derek White plays X amount of minutes, the Celtics win, which are always a bit bit weird when you're using minutes equals wins kind of thing. But, yeah. Um, and especially now that we're in the playoffs versus the regular season. Yeah. Right, but I think when you when people are really freaked out about the the way that the Celtics closed out on shooters and giving them too much airspace, that's what Derek White does really well. He gets over screens really well. He can test threes. He he makes really smart plays on the defensive end. I think you have to try and find Derek. At least give him a give him give Derek a chance to find himself. Otherwise, I think like then you're down to six guys. You're down to six guys, which is like. Not a lot of guys, which is wild because the Heat are playing bloody Cody Zeller and the corpse of Kevin Love, and I don't understand how they like they're low key deep all of a sudden. They didn't even play their their secret weapon in Haywood Highsmith today. 
who, if you remember from the regular season, knocked down like three threes and they won the game. Yeah, we've got that coming. But we've got our own secret weapon, the house trap. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not... I'm not genuinely putting this forward as a legitimate adjustment, but I, I do think maybe you could goad Butler into the house trap a few times. Um, oh, obviously, he was going at Peyton Pritchard and getting whatever he wanted, so it can't be worse than that. And then we still get the benefits of the floor spacing, um, actually like a, a better three-point shooter there for Hauser as well. I just think that they're, you know you still get the what you want out of Pritchard in that PP insertion, which is the spacing, the three-point shooting bump, but less of a knock defensively as well. So really, I would just love to see the rotation tighten up and not see Hauser or Pritchard or anyone, but I understand throughout the course of a, of a series, like we need to try different things, particularly early on, and we need to take opportunities to shave minutes off the Jays where possible as well. So I get that. Um, Grant has historically done pretty well defending Bam Adebayo. Uh, he's also more capable of switching on to the Heat's guards than like Al Horford, for example, who wasn't terrible. Like, I, don't, I can't remember many moments, if any, that Al got cooked on a switch tonight. But Grant, no, Grant I- is more reliable in that sense. So you, you've got to at least give him a look, especially because he does, you know, he's, he's got the corner office, right? Like he, he does have some threat offensively too. Bam just feels very comfortable against Horford. Mm. If you remember the Eastern Conference Finals from last season, when Rob played, remember Rob was hobbled. I forget if he, he missed at least one game, maybe two games. I know for sure game three in Boston, Rob didn't play and there was, where, where's Bam? Why has he not been aggressive enough? And he cooked Horford. I've been saying that Embiid's actually a much better matchup for Horford than Bam, because Bam has this move where he he jab steps like on a left and then comes middle, and you have to respect the jab because Bam can put it on the floor, and then Horford's just a little off balance. Bam's so much more athletic, I would say, than than Embiid, and it feels like the quickness, the quickness is what Horford struggles with. Like I much prefer Horford switching on to to be Butler than I do switching on to Trey Young, even James Harden, like the way that he's kind of more shifty versus Jimmy Butler um, using his strength to get his shoulders past certain guys. Um, yep. Kind of forgot where I was going with that, but like Al, Al Horford <laughs> versus Grant, I guess. Oh, yeah. And, and like Grant, Grant, we, we have the whole the narrative of like Grant, you know, played each other in high school, like knows him really well, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. It's the playoffs. You, you have to at least try. Yeah. Even if Grant gives you one W because he – he he makes Grant. Uh, what did Bam go today? Right, like he was he was on fire. Nine for thirteen. That's just seventy percent from the field. Is just is not a sustainable way to be playing Bam. If Grant can come in next game, you because you'll know quick. You can hook guys. Play Grant. You know, give him a six minute stint while Bam's in there, while also playing Rob. And then you can have Rob like kind of in that in that help zone, and and have a little switch action going. Yeah, the other adjustment I would like to see is just not having Jalen defend Bam really ever. Like, if you have to accept the odd switch, sure. But I think in the first four or five possessions we saw, like in the game, we saw Jalen just as the primary defender on Bam. And some of that is because Bam brings the ball up um, and initiates the offense differently to how like the Sixers or a typical big man would. So I understand wanting a perimeter player out on him uh, in that regard, but too many times early in the game, we saw Bam getting easy looks. And we've already talked about the sort of the flow on effect of that, if that opens up Jimmy and then Jimmy getting looks opens up their perimeter guards and uh, it's just a snowball effect. So I'd love to see a change in that coverage from the get-go. Anything else on this one? I have, Go yeah. ahead. Uh, look, we, 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 can, we can maybe look ahead to the next game, but I can just see the chat kind of way off they've the mark. sidetracked <laughs> they've way tracked they've sidetracked themselves into a Paul Pierce discussion um I don't know what the argument about Paul Pierce can be right like if you're gonna rank greatest Celtics of all time where do you have Pierce right like he's at worst fourth on for me. All right. So let's 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 dust our hands of game one, right? And let's let's move on to some of this. Now we're now we're Look, leaning back in that chair and getting into Celtics late night. Okay. So like this is late night time. Let's just start talking no, about no you know, no topic is untouchable. Chat, let us know your thoughts. So so where does Pierce yeah. rank all time among Celtics? Like we've just got to go yeah. top down, right? So it's Russell, it's Bird. Okay. 
Yeah. Then uh, I guess you can't put Pierce in third. It's got to be like Kuzi and Havlicek and. Well, this is well, you can you can do whatever you want, Ben. Don't let don't let the chat bully you into choosing. Like, if if Pierce is third for you, my uh, and that's fine. My, my vote like, is for sale. Via, via uh, my, um, yeah, my dad has been feeding me Hondo propaganda for most of my Celtics fandom. So I'm like, I'm kind of in on the Hondo Havlicek as a third greatest Celtic of all time. Like, who Loki kind of has a bit of a, a bit of a similar arc to Tatum in that you know Hondo comes in when Russell's still there and um. He's just kind of playing his role. And then once he leaves, becomes like this high minute, high scorer guy, like Iron Man, very similar to Tatum, where he comes in and he's kind of the, the second or third guy with Kyrie and Hard uh Haywood. I think so I just in honor of my of my of my dad for now, I'm gonna put Hondo at three, but Pierce, Pierce is four, like pretty comfortably for me. Like without Pierce, what are the two like? Where are we right now? Like without the two thousand and eight title, we're in a pretty, pretty bad place, right? Uh, okay. So this is per the very reputable uh, website Bleacher Report, which uh, okay. So <laughs> let's take from that what you will. Bill Russell number one, Larry Bird number two, number three is okay. Hondo, I think that's I think that's fair. Kevin McHale, one of the greatest six men of all time. That's high. Cowens is a guy because he like kind of dominated the seventies. Yeah. Like people just forget about Dave Cowens, but he was um, incredibly dominant. Uh, I believe he won MVP. Yeah, there you go. Well, the, Seven times. Well, the seventies in general, to quote the to quote Bill Simmons, was the cocaine era, and so like <laughs> the NBA almost like fell out of existence in the seventies. And so like you know that we had like maybe the greatest game of all time, the the triple overtime Suns Celtics finals right and like that's in the 70s but a lot of people forget because you know it was barely on tv yeah yeah it was barely in newspapers i think koozie below paul pierce is ridiculous i think like just a recency bias just the benefit of the quality of the broadcast in the last 20 years compared to the koozie era like he was incredible and one of um bill russell's sort of major challenges in his career was like the post-Koozie era and like figuring out how to win after Koozie retired. Obviously, he did. Um, but initially, that was that was seismic enough to, to challenge the great Bill Russell. So, Koozie was incredible as well. We're not going to go through this whole list, but um, Parish at eight. It's, it's a bit of a drop-off there. Um, look, Sam, anyway. no, Sam Jones, look, they got a lot of guys and we look, we're, we're trying to rediscover the crew, right? And... I think Tatum's got a pretty, pretty good chance of taking the third spot. Ah, uh, so hard to say after like if you said it a game ago, like of oh my I god, know, like yeah. after the last game. But look, I think everybody look our chance of winning the title was always like 30 percent chance. Mm-hmm. Like it's really, really hard to win a title, especially when your best player is twenty fives. Like yeah, like a lot of young guys forget how. Look, Tatum, I don't even think it's worth putting him in certain discussions of where he is right now. It's like um, when people were trying to do the GOAT conversation with LeBron five, ten years ago, it's like, what's the point when we don't really know where he's going to end up? I think you can just say, you know, it's Jordan, Jordan. Man, if LeBron gets a title this year, not to, look, maybe we go sidetracked, but like that's going to really do some stuff for him taking the – the goat thing. Oh, oh, are we go? No, this is we're way off the no. run sheet. <laughs> we will save it for another. Sh- but Tatum's too young to really be like in the greatest Celtic of all time conversation. Really, like, and and people in Boston aren't going to care and not going to rank him anywhere in Port, like anywhere of significance, unless he wins a title. Yeah, yeah. he's twenty five. Yeah, I think he'll win a title, uh, and hopefully. It's with the Celtics. Should we talk about the draft lottery a little bit and how uh, effed over the Pistons yeah. got? Like, which is more yeah. like that. I, obviously, we'll talk about Wemby of the Spurs, but just as far as like the impact on the Celtics. First of all, Wemby, like just far away from the Eastern Conference. Great tick. That's a win for the Celtics. The Pistons, who have like picked up some decent assets through the draft over the past few years, 
not getting anything close to a top four pick uh, is also fantastic. What what are your obviously uh, on the backdoor cut podcast that you also do, Jake? The very awesome Australian based NBA podcast. <laughs> yeah, if anyone wants awesome, more, definitely subscribe to the backdoor yeah. cut podcast. Um, you talked about this in, in detail, so like just let the people know. Like, what are your what are your thoughts on on the the draft lottery and and the impacts on the Celtics? Um, firstly, all that I really cared about was him going west. Done. Um, I knew as soon as I saw Ime Doka up there as the Rockets representative, that there was a 0% chance they were getting the number one overall pick. Do they not have any understanding of how karma and how the universe works? <laughs> like, was that a PR move? Be like, we really back our guy and we, and like, we're going to, we're going to get him out there and people are going to have to get used to seeing him. So, 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 so bad. You got to get, yeah, got to get out, you know, uh, Yao Ming, fly Yao Ming in. For the draft lottery, that would be my number one pick for trying to, you know, get the universe to give me the number one overall pick. Um, my whole thing with the Wemby thing right now is like the expectations are so, so high. There's like the famous clip of LeBron on a talk show talking about if you're not a first ballot Hall of Famer, um, you're you're going to be a, a disappointment. You're going to be a bust. That's high expectations, obviously. But the expectations for Wemby that I've been seeing going around right now, it's like if he's not Kareem or Hakeem, like a top 10 player of all time, that's going to be a letdown. That's where that's where I'm like, this seems unfair um, and turning me into a hater. I don't want to be a hater. I want to, I want to enjoy some super tall alien guy being good <laughs> at basketball. I don't want to be like, guys, He's not going to be Kareem. Ridiculous. Even if you got like a clone of Kareem and brought him into the league today, he wouldn't necessarily be like a super effective player. I'm not going to go as far to say that he wouldn't be in a rotation. Obviously, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would make a rotation in today's NBA. But would he have a super yes. re- relevant skill set outside of size? Like, maybe not. Wow. He was like one of the best defenders when he came in too, though. So that's the thing. Yeah, look, I wasn't prepared to go down this road, but obviously <laughs> Wemby is going to be incredible and he has the modern NBA skill set with the size. He doesn't have a lot of injury concerns thus far, touch wood. He's far away from us in the Western Conference there, which is fantastic. But yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some lofty expectations of him, but it's not really any different to the LeBron situation in like 20, 2003 where they're like, this guy could be the best guy of all time. And like... Yeah, it would have been difficult for LeBron to um, to you know uphold those expectations, but that's just part and parcel for someone coming in that good of a prospect. That's just you know what they have to deal with, and at least now with the benefit of hindsight with LeBron's career and 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 I guess like more recently like Zion's career, like there's more data and learnings to draw from as far as like how a young prospect can navigate like all the pitfalls of like coming in this hot into the league. But as far as the Celtics are concerned, great. Enjoy the Western Conference. We'll see you twice a year, maybe in the finals in a few years, and and that's it, hopefully for a very long time. Uh, Coaches fired, Jake. There have been a number of pretty, you know, hot name coaches let go. Uh, Monty, Nick Nurse, Doc Rivers, Coach Buldenhoser. Buldenhoser? (laughs) Why is that a tongue twister for me? Dwayne Casey? That was a... Uh, yeah, I'm surprisingly difficult. I don't know if I've ever said that out loud before and technically still haven't. Um, it's just Coach Bud. Yeah, Coach Bud. Thank you. <laughs> out of those coaches, do you, have you got your eyes on anyone to join the, the Celtics bench next year as an, a glorified assistant coach? Well, I would like all of them to join the, the Celtics bench. Like, I think if I was to rank them, I would go Monty at the top just because he seems like such a like a, a dude that relates and connects with players and i feel like the Celtics maybe you're missing just this this wise this uh, I'm a big punk kung fu panda guy master ugwe or a master shifu a dumbledore <laughs> um any type of grand wizard i feel like the Celtics are currently missing their grand wizard i believe that Brad Stevens is a grand wizard like I wish that he could do both jobs because I think he truly is a basketball genius. I think he is like a Spolstra level coach. Um, I just, 
it's crazy that he, I think he's actually better at GM than he is at coach because I have things so highly of him as a coach. The problem with the with who you want as a coach for the bench is that how many of these guys is going to trade spots? Like, I know a bunch of Pistons fans hope that they get Monty. So it's like if the Pistons offer Mon- Monty Williams the head coaching job, then why would he take the assistant job for the Celtics as opposed to the head coaching job for the Pistons, which is basically a low risk, a no risk job. Like no one's expecting the Pistons to like win more than 30 games for the next two years. Right. And you're going to get paid $5 million a year. Or do you want to like build up your equity at a organization like the Celtics? I do wonder like, right. All these guys got fired for like Monty was in the finals, Bud won a championship. Nick Nurse won a championship. Fired. Like, I don't feel like if the Celtics had lost to the Sixers or if they lose to the Heat, that Joe is in any danger of getting fired. No, I agree. Um, but I think there's a... a is that good? Like, yeah, I think so. Like, I think you've got to give him at least... <laughs> yeah, you have to give him at least one more year, right? Like, just think about the circumstances under which he came into his role. Like he has done a pretty good job of, like by all accounts, from what we can tell from you know quotes coming out of the the players there, done a good job of of building a relationship with the players. Certainly not with the fan base. Certainly not with the press. But it does seem like there's a good dynamic there, at least between Coach Joe and um and the players. Like I think it'll be first of all like just uh, particularly brutal to sack him after one year, given how the year started off. And like, it's objectively a successful year, even if they don't win another game, I think. And then uh, it, w- it would then be what, like the f- third or fourth coach in as many years for these guys yeah, during all- their, basically their primes or as they're coming into their primes at a time where, you know, Jalen's up for a, a contract renewal. Tatum is not too far around the corner. Continuity, I think, matters. As I say that, like putting the right coach in the coaching seat probably also matters for convincing these guys to to stick around long term. I just, I think it would be a bad sign, be bad news for the team to to steer away from Joe Mazzulla this early in his tenure. That said, like he, I feel like he has it in him to like shit the bed, you know, in this Heat series, and then you know the narrative could change. It's pretty. It's such an insane spot for this guy like unforeseen circumstances and maybe if you think any if there are any mistakes that brad made it's like do you just not remove the interim tag because i have basically no choice but to give joe the job yeah people (laughs) okay my philosophy on coaches in general is that they don't matter at all not at all like you don't want the worst coach in the league but like tell me the coach Outside of Eric Spolstra, that's making a real impact. That anyone's talking about having a real impact. Out Popovich. Will Hardy? Yeah, but this is the thing. Mark Dagnall for the OKC Thunder. It is such a different situation to be coaching a team um, that's expected to win 20 games. To, to exceed expectations when expectations are low. That's the best spot to be in. For, your team just plays completely differently and it's also just so much more difficult like brad brad was like in that spolstra conversation remember like i think it was a chris mannix tweet it was like how many players get drafted before brad stevens in a complete redraft of the entire nba and he had like Giannis, lebron it was it was like a ridiculous list and then brad stevens was the fourth option like the fourth best player like one of my best mates from high school was a miami heat fan and I was like, you, would, you wouldn't trade Eric Spolstra for Harden, right? He's like, absolutely no chance. It's like, Eric Spolstra is the only guy in the league that that conversation even makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, Lakers fans hated Darvin Ham. And now they kind of like Darvin Ham because he put, you know, Rui Hachimura on fucking Jokic for a second. <laughs> and it's like, whoops. And it's like- We'll bleep that out. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well- he made some adjustment for like five minutes and it kind of worked and they didn't adjust to it because they were up by like 16 and the Lakers kind of came back. Talent, like as good as Spolstra is, he has not won a title since he had one 
very key player on his team. This guy called LeBron James. And this other guy who's a first ballot Hall of Famer in Dwayne Wade. Like talent in the NBA absolutely wins out more so than like any other sport. Who would you hire for the Celtics in the Evan Turner role? Like the 2023, yes, yeah. 2024 Evan Turner role. Like maybe it's just Evan Turner again, but obviously they yeah. didn't work out. What like I guess recent, you know, has to be young, right? He needs to be able to like I know. get on the level of the players, but also be old enough to communicate with the older staff. Like who are you putting in that position? And, and people in the chat, let us know. Well, what I, what I would like to like, what kind of offer can we make to Kevin Garnett? Which is not a realistic offer, but because he's not going to want to be full time. Yeah, he's right? just too big time. I just don't think he he's too big needs time. that in his life. But can he look? I want to like. I'm working four days a week right now. You know, <laughs> I, I put in my six years at a, at a company, and, and I've negotiated a four day a week contract now for for a few months. Can we can we give KG a two day a week, a one day a week, or it's like week on week off, like any. A Zoom call? Any amount of KG. Any amount of KG. Once a week on Zoom oh, that, with the J. Can't be a Zoom call. Can't be a Zoom call. Because <laughs> you got you to gotta feel. Yeah. You got to feel the- Holograph. The, mm. Yeah, you got to feel You got to feel KG. You, like, you, can, you can watch KG and feel some stuff, but I'm guessing when you're in the presence of KG, it's a completely different, what, completely different thing. Yep. Um, I don't know. Who, who comes to mind for you? Like, yeah, I'm just you, racking my brain. Um, Rondo? <sighs> Yeah, see, I just I don't think Rondo's the right energy. Too mercurial? Yeah, too mercurial, exactly. I think he's going to pull them even further away from, from where they need to be. Um, I don't know. Maybe we need to circle back on that for um, for the next show because clearly like, there's been some... Maybe it's Jordan Crawford, player of the week, Jordan Crawford, <laughs> 2013. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, lighting in a bottle, Jordan Crawford. Um, had like the... It looked at the... Some of the some of the best coaches end up being like not stars. Mm-hmm. It's like you know the Jason Kidd, terrible coach, star. Mm. Darvin Ham, apparently good coach, fringe player. Emi Doka, fringe player, star. I mean, star coach or good coach. Yep. Um, I will say just like revisionist history on Udoka. We had plenty of moments like this today. Oh yeah. Plenty of moves. So, fire Adoka was a trending hashtag, like all right year. up until the finals. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, look. Go, sorry, go ahead. I'm I'm about to wrap. It no, up. no, I'm just looking at the chat here. Like, hire 14 uh, Kevin Garnett on a 14 year old Macus worker contract. Can't argue with that. <laughs> like, there, there's this. Like, yeah, I feel like that. But we're onto something here where we need. Like Blake Griffin feels like he's serving this kind of role. Do, is that what we need? Yeah, maybe it's just Blake. We'd be going with a- Maybe that's it. We need a P, We had a PP insertion. Do we need a BG insertion? Love a BG insertion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's there. He's on the bench. Like, it cuts to the bench celebrating and he's, he's clearly part of it. I think he had a lower back issue. Like, he was actually on the injury list in the Hawks series. So, um, like, just like, I want to acknowledge the fact that we, like, we do not need him on the court, but also he might actually be genuinely injured. Um, yeah, look, I think yeah, that's, like, that's going to be- Michael, a, Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Michael Spitzer, dude, this game happened exactly one year ago. We were up 20 on the heat, game one, Eastern Conference Finals in Miami, and then completely fell apart in the second half and blew the 20-point lead. A much, much, much worse loss and that, than today. Well, well, yeah, but that was with Horford out with COVID, right? And I think Marcus And Marcus Smart, also out. Yeah. Um, Anyway, we've okay, lost, ben, we've lost so many facts, dude. <laughs> Settle down. We've lost so many game ones. As we attempt to bring it back around and, and wrap this thing up. Um, so first of all, like thanks for joining us. First ever episode of Celtics Late Night on the CLNS channel and on the First of the Floor channel. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We've got uh, regular, you know, um, post game and pre game content coming out on that podcast feed. Um, let us know, like. I mean, yeah, in gonna, theory, yeah. like it's still afternoon here. We could just like hang around and talk C's for like hours longer. Although I do have a family I'm, I'm I need like, to get yeah, to. <laughs> um, we will wrap this yeah. one up, but I guess we're just like looking for feedback for how we should run these in the future. And we will do another one. It'll be Saturday our time. It'll be Friday evening US time after game two there. Jake, like hopefully we can end on some positivity here. It sounds like, like <laughs> I, I can predict your prediction for game two and like the Celtics will bounce back and, and win and tie the series. Do you, do you feel that way? I will be <laughs> like, I was going to be kind of surprised that they won today. I'll be pretty surprised if they don't win tomorrow. 
pretty surprised that they don't win tomorrow. Uh, not tomorrow, the next day. I'll be surprised they don't win game two. Yeah, soon like, enough. <laughs> that's uh, is it? A, they got to win that one. It's a must win, right? You can't. You can't. Uh, no, it's a must win. Come on, like we, uh, Jake and I, for those like, new to the show, have been having this <laughs> tug of war. Like, all year, there's been must-win regular season games as far as I'm concerned. And um, <laughs> you cannot go back to Miami down 0-2 to Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler. It's, it's a must-win. But win. back to Miami, it's like, it's not like a scary... Okay, that's the thing. If we lose game two, then I'm a, it's going to be a disaster, obviously. But it's like 87% a must-win. Wow, I, I can't believe it's not a hundred for you. I mean, eighty-seven. I suppose if they lose, then finally we'll agree that game three at that point is a must-win. <laughs> Surely. Well, look, the um, the Clippers Mavericks series like two years ago, the the Mavs won two in LA and then lost two in Dallas, and then it went seven. Like these are also the things I've just convinced myself to pr- protect myself mm-hmm. from if they actually do lose game two but they're gonna win game two fellas and we're gonna have a celebration that like that it's gonna be saturday it's gonna be good times yeah double the amount of alcohol double the length of the post game show <laughs> and uh triple the vibes all night it's gonna be great all right that is gonna do it for this one thank you so much for joining us we'll be back with another edition of celtics late night after game two on friday night in the meantime subscribe to the first of the four podcast on whatever podcast app you prefer subscribe to our youtube channel and of course show some love to our wonderful employer CLNS and thanks to them for having us on their their many YouTube channels for this particular show we've had a great time with everyone in the chat and um, really just like restoring the vibes after a pretty disappointing yet predictable game one Um, so many awesome podcasts and content streams as well on CLNS to subscribe to so make sure you're subbed to all their channels if you're not already including ours Jake love your work mate until next time go Celtics go Celtics